Good morning, everybody. I've, uh, my name is Derek. I serve as an elder here at Church in the Square. Um, this is my, I think, third or fourth time up here. Um, some positive feet forth. My positive feet are, you know, some, some criticisms. You can't hear me. You can't. I'm going to try to articulate a little more. If I'm actually yelling, it's because I'm trying to make sure you can hear me. Um, I seek my hands a lot. I bound stuff. I'm in sales, so it's not technically at you, but it might feel that way. So, again, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's really uh, been formidable to work on these sermons and to be um, up here. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful um, the way in which our body, my group, people around me responded um, to hearing my thoughts, a um, little bit of Jason's thoughts through that. Um, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm very grateful. I, I feel incredibly loved um, as well as uh, n- not fearful. So I, I think that's just a unique re- uh, response that you, you, you're doing and you don't even know it. And so I just wanted to so say thank you very, very, very much. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a long week um, for me. I'm, there's not a lot of major uh, or seen circumstances or any big moment that was tough. It's just been one of those weeks. I'm a little tired. I'm a little annoyed. I'm a little over it. Um, I'm frustrated, uh, anger, frustration, annoyance, it's kind of all as a thing when I starts to go wrong. I, I tend to say yes a lot and do a lot of things and, and that leads to me wearing a million hats throughout the week. Uh, I rely heavily on myself, uh, pushing forward rather than wrestling and, and frankly lacking time. Now, this isn't a new thing. My wife knows this, my group knows this, um, lacking time that is, uh, that's not new. Um, I also know this isn't a new thing for our church because um, I hear from our members a lot. Um, I don't have time to commit to coming on Sundays because I'm doing something else. I don't have time to go to my group because I have some other commitment. Um, I tell myself that I'll read the study guide later uh, when I have more time. I'll meet Jesus later in the week. See, look, it's, it's on my calendar right after the 75 other moments that I've scheduled. See, it's not that I didn't have time this week. I didn't have any less minutes than someone else did. You didn't have any less minutes than I. I just made something else my choice. I made something else my priority. I made something else my idol. I made something else my God. So I very much need to be discipled in rest, in Sabbath keeping, and abiding in my Savior. Let me pray, ask for God's help for this sermon today, and then we'll get into it. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I come to you, God, uh, um, with open hands, God, uh, whatever, Lord, is from you, let it be heard. Whatever is not, let it be forgotten. God, I pray uh, that today uh, we all, myself included, can grow up just a little bit more in Jesus. God, this word, and I need to be reminded that, Lord, I am only a messenger. I'm not a mediator. God, let this time bless uh, our body and time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we'll stay in our sermon series that we're calling Pause, uh, Four Practices in Abiding in God's Love. The past two weeks we've taught from the book of John, um, specifically where Jesus is speaking. Um, Alongside of this teaching from Jesus, we've learned four practices uh, from Marva Dawn's book called Keeping the Sabbath Holy. Uh, So first we learned about seizing, cease to work, cease to worry, and ceasing to be God. Then last week we learned about resting. Rest is a gift, rest is grace, rest of has been on Sabbath, what Sabbath really is to followers of Jesus, and how to practice that here and now. Sabbath is an invitation to rest, 
to be healed, to find joy, to find solace in your Lord. Personally, as you might imagine, Sabbath is a constant big commitment I do extremely poorly. On paper, I get it, but it, it actually sounds impossible to execute. I need to be discipled in this way. So I, if you do have Sabbath things, um, like lighting a candle and making a cocktail and having a good dinner before, I love that. I would very much covet the way in which you keep your Sabbath um, and, and to hear that. What I've been exposed to in the past few weeks is that my view of Sabbath is incorrect and, and it's broken. Um, I believe Sabbath was much more of relaxing and being still and doing nothing and not cooking and these, these very like, you know, physical, practical ways of, of doing nothing. Um, I believe Sabbath, um, excuse me, on top of that, I was exposed to then read my Bible, pray endlessly, and to try and be with God all day. So on top of doing nothing, I was supposed to just be with God, right? These, these are the ways in which I viewed Sabbath. Um, Marva Don has a really unique response to this, and, and it's really shaped me in a way. And she explains that, on, uh, that, again, it's not me that needs to try harder, but for me to actually believe what I'm hopefully going to articulate today. And on page 158, she writes this. Um, frankly, she just does it better than I do. Sabbath-keeping helps us by offering a day in which we recognize we are incapable of providing for ourselves, either physically or spiritually. If we are to feast spiritually, God must provide the manna of his word. Only by his grace has he chosen to reveal himself to us. Only by his grace can we understand and believe what his revelation declares. So today, the text will read through 15, John 15, 9 through 11, and that we're called to obey for our joy. So that's the big picture today, right? O learning to obey for our joy. Love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. This is Jesus speaking. And abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In verse 9, Jesus says, abide in my love, period. It's a commandment. He tells his disciples ab abiding is about experiencing the paradoxical, paradoxal relationship between joy and obedience. Specifically, that joy comes through obedience. You see, if joy comes from Christ, then abiding in his love is how joy is enjoyed and fostered. We become more joyful not by distancing ourselves from him and his word, but by allowing his word to shape our lives. Similarly, Jesus experienced joy, full intimacy with his Father by abiding in his Father's love, just as the text said. One of the primary ways Jesus remained in his Father was through obedience, even to the point of death on the cross. That means at least two things. First, Jesus is our example. He obeyed his Father's word, and we should, and we should too, and he models this for, our, for, for his people. It's always striking when Jesus, the Son of Man, fully God and fully man, models exactly what he calls us to do. He never says go and obey without modeling it for us. Only in deep, deep, rich love, I believe, true holy love, do we get a savior to live and model the way he calls us to live. Second, Jesus is our savior, our Messiah. He forgives us when we don't obey and empowers us by his spirit as a new creation to obey. Because of Jesus, we find this joy through obedience. Remember, 
Jesus obeyed so that we would have new life in him. Not the other way around. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to guide you, to be with you. We can experience joy and fullness through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of his perfect and pleasing work on the cross, not our own. So, we're going to structure our time this way through um, obeying for our joy. And there's going to be three kind of movements and church and square liturgy function. And then we'll end with Marvadong's section on feasting. The book is broken up into four sections, if you haven't been here. Um, help me. Seizing, resting, embracing, and feasting. Today we're on feasting. We moved it up based on the text. So we'll start with the command to obey. We'll start with the example of obedience and the joy of obedience. And we'll end with Don's commentary on it. Verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. First part of 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The command is written simply, but yet with clarity. We shouldn't read that too fast. Jesus says, Abide in my love. Here's where we're called to obey. We speak a lot about obedience on Sundays. We speak a lot about obedience in group. Um, this isn't something that we just invented as elders or early church in the squares. Jesus says it clearly right here. Trust me, obedience is not something that I'm drawn to. It's not easy, right? It's not something that I frankly enjoy doing. It's actually difficult and fairly debilitating. Um, I often want to just say no and, and choose not to. But usually what that means is I'm protecting something that I covet or idolize or love more than God. So if I have nothing to hide, so usually with that, lost my place. So usually I'm protecting something that I covet or idolize and I love more than God. So if we have nothing to hide, then we shouldn't experience the feeling of being caught. I pray that that feeling of being caught becomes very foreign to us because then we will see that obedience and confession are much more central to us and our church and our people than striving for perfection and hiding are. See, abiding in Jesus' love says, brother, sister, lay down that burden, lay down that sin and come to me and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 28 says this. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will is light. Our response to Jesus' love and what it means to abide in Christ is all about obedience. We show, we know, and trust Jesus by knowing and trusting his word, his truths, not our own. His love that he, that his love that he received from the Father. In fact, as we obey, we see how this produces more and more fruit and love and joy in our lives through obedience, not as a supernatural add-on for bonus points, but rather as a natural result of obedience. See, don't believe that being obedient to the word of God is punishment. It's freedom. Brothers and sisters, it's freedom from toil. It's freedom from plight. It's freedom from, from frustration. It's freedom from anger. It's freedom from annoyance. It's a path or vine, as Jesus described in 15.1 a couple weeks ago, that produces more and more fruit each time it's pruned. We don't have a lot of, you know, horticultures likely in this room, so the vine thing may be a little, but when you clip it, it then branches and you get more fruit, right? Um, 
That's the way in which this was talked about. So as we are pruned, we should be outright sprinting to remove ourselves to produce more fruit that is of Jesus and not of ourselves. This is where we fight. This is where we can push back the darkness and find joy in obedience. Joy is knowing and keeping Christ's commandments to abide in his love, not ours. So now we're going to the example of obedience. Just as I, on 15.10, the second part. Jesus obeyed his father. He says, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus models this in three ways. The incarnation, his moral purity, his death on the cross. So first we'll talk about his incarnation. The embodiment of God, the Son, in human, fra- in human flesh. He talked like you. He experienced the earth like you as human. His incarnation gave us, the created, something physical, real, tangible, and human to see, to seek, to watch, to learn from. We were given a man that came to earth as a child and was born like everyone here today. This is unique in deity and should cause us to find much comfort in knowing Jesus is real. Second, Jesus models obedience through his moral purity on earth, meaning he lived perfectly. Most of us would say, got it. His actions, his words, motivations, emotions, truth, they're 100% in lockstep with the Father's. Jesus did not step out of the Father's will, and he was obedient throughout his life. He gives us all we need to abide in him, to live out the Father's perfect and pleasing will. It's not attainable to be perfect, period. Don't hear that lie. Don't believe that lie. It's not attainable to be perfect. But it's not okay to continue in sin and brokenness because we have a Savior who's modeled complete purity throughout his life and give us an entire book of modeling on how to live. The Bible has your answers to live obediently like King Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, he accounts an interaction In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew accounts an interaction Jesus has with the devil. Jesus follows the Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism to essentially obey his Father's words in the face of great temptation and in face of presence and in presence with the evil one. So Matthew 4, 1 through 11 says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And when the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear up you, bear you up, lest you strike, put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the God, worship the Lord your God and serve him only Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus obeys God's command not to center his life on his life, but on God. Jesus obeyed God's command not to test God, but to trust God. Jesus obeyed God's command not to worship any other gods, but God. This is modeling. This is what Jesus is doing for us. Thirdly, his death on the cross 
Jesus demonstrates his obedience to the Father. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. He loves the Father by obeying his Father. We obey Jesus by dying to ourselves. We abide in him so that we may experience the joy and love Jesus has with the Father. We must die to ourselves through faith and confession. We can repent, be forgiven, be healed, and be full in Jesus and less of our destructive human self. Church. You got me still? Church. There's true transformational holy growth and obedience, like death on a cross. We can experience today alongside our Savior Jesus through confession and repentance. Come to the cross. Lay it down at the feet of King Jesus. You'll find a joy that only a Savior can provide. This, this point is pretty critical. You see, if we have, if we just have a handheld, better, handheld, more better, let's rock. All right, let's go. We'll, we'll try this. We'll see. Maybe I'll slide up a little. All this articulation, I got this thing all janky. So the point here is pretty critical um, about Jesus' death on the cross. You see, if we, if we just have a command and an example of obedience, we're simply exposed as a sinner, right? God's moral commands are too great for us to obey on our own. It's fair. Jesus' example is perfect and only makes our imperfection more obvious. In other words, excuse me, so we can't rest. In other words, if, only, if we only have a command, not an example, we can't rest. All we have is religions, expectations, and rules we have to keep to try to live up to, right? That's the hustle. That's the, like, I just want to keep living up to this. Thankfully, Jesus is not our example only. He's our Savior. Since Jesus' obedience includes his substitution, his death on the cross for us, then we are afforded a new nature. We're given his spirit and we're given a new heart. In our new nature, we're empowered to obey. Filled with the Spirit, the law is written on our hearts. With a new heart, where once obedience brought frustration and shame, we now find joy and we can find rest. Last point. The joy of obedience. Verse 11 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus commands us to abide in his love. Point one. Point two, then he models what obedience is. Then he forgives our disobedience and empowers us to obey. This is true of conversion, but it's also the reality of this. We confess really good news. Let me read it again. We confess sin. He forgives us, and we're empowered to obey afresh. And though we cannot obey without his help, his power and example, we experience joy and obedience, which in turn invites us to rest in him. Hear this. Sin keeps us from rest. Joy keeps us at rest. Controlling our circumstances keeps us from rest. Trusting God as the author of our lives keeps us at rest. Worrying about the next stage of life Life keeps us from rest. Believing in God's faithfulness keeps us at rest. Working on emails on Sunday keeps us from rest. Seizing to work keeps us at rest. Comparing our haves and have-nots to our neighbors keeps us from rest. 
Praising God for his provision keeps us at rest. Anger keeps us from rest. Humility keeps us at rest. Isolation keeps us from rest. Confession keeps us at rest. King Jesus didn't mince words in John 15 about the type of joy we can experience through abiding in his love. To do this, we must stop. We must meet Queen Sabbath weekly to experience this joy Jesus says is like his joy. Obeying the God of the universe. Church, don't, let's not read it fast. Jesus says, these things, meaning abiding in me, Jesus, not me, Jesus, that I've spoken to you that my joy, Jesus' joy, meaning son-pleasing the father type of joy, may be in you, maybe in us, and that your joy may be full. You have joy in you. It's there. And it may be full in Christ Jesus, period. Marva Don lays out three aspects of feasting in joy. I, I would implore you to read that book. I, there's a couple copies in the back if you need them. Two copies left. I will Amazon you one. I'll give you mine. It's, I've only read two chapters, so let's be real. But I'd like to finish it. But when it comes by obeying the commandment to rest on the Sabbath. Once a week, we ought to be taking a day to rest. Here is that time I have been stealing. For many of us, that's Sunday. Meaning your Sabbath is likely, a good day would be Sunday. For others, we've got to find another day. It, it frankly doesn't matter. Right? Let's, let's not get wrapped up in, in the day. But no matter what, we need to rest. Work and hustle tell us that joy will come when the work is done. Is the work ever done? I've yet to find, I've, I've yet to get to that end. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is our joy and we can rest. And so once a week, we intentionally cultivate this joy through what Marva Dawn calls feasting. Specifically, she encourages us to feast on the eternal, feast with beauty, and feast on affection. Feasting on the eternal. In other words, in the face of earthly ambitions and work on Sabbath, we remember our eternal nature and our eternal God. Don explains, and so 153, our weekly celebration helps us to be more aware that God is eternally present, but the fact that Sunday moves on into Monday keeps reminding us that our short-lived Sabbath celebrations are but a foretaste of eternal feast. It reminds us that we are not bound to this toil, now or forever. It releases the Derek handcuffs to remember that I am not God, that we are, not, that we are bound to only Jesus and not to this day or this week or this age. We live for eternity for a new Jerusalem to come down and to be bountiful in joy in the presence of our God. Feasting with beauty. There's something about beholding God's handiwork in people or in nature in all of, the, in all of creation every week. Every Sabbath, we should learn to cultivate awareness of God's design in and through and around us. This helps us rest. This helps us see God. This teaches us obedience and gives us joy. Dawn shares that feasting on beauty gives her a different sense of her home. The conscious enjoyment of loveliness enables me to experience more richly my apartment as a place of God's presence. Beauty lifts our spirits and gives us joy. That's why God made the world beautiful for our joy.
Lastly, feasting on, a, feasting on affection. I'm sweating up here today. Oh boy. Again, Don helps us see joy of rest, this time through affection. She says, one of the most terrifying aspects of the technological society is its loss of intimacy. This book was written in 1989. Many people in our culture are desperate for affection, and most do not know how to give it or receive it. Sabbath rest teaches us to see people as image bearers, not just coworkers, or frustrations or neighbors. We learn to see the joy of God's creation when we see those who bear his image with greater clarity and dignity. When we rest, when we step away from the hustle, when we make time to see God, we learn to obey his word. And that, and in that, we find great joy. And to end, I believe we're great thieves of joy and we rob the little beauties the, the Lord has provided for us. I know I do. Because we aren't looking to feast with our creator, we're just looking for the next best thing on earth. We bury our heads in new restaurants, packages on the front door, vacations, the, relation, the next relationship, the next streamed whatever, or the next video on social media. We rob what God has made for us. As Don says so eloquently, we cannot feast because we cannot fast. We need to learn that feasting isn't about more things. It's about time. Time that you've intentionally chosen to set aside for your Savior. To smell the flowers. To think at the lake. To read that book. To just play with your kids. To listen. To take in that picture of art. To smell your coffee and not just drink it. To worship in song with your brothers and sisters, to just cry, to just laugh, to get off the hamster wheel. To receive the love Jesus received from the Father each week on your Sabbath and learn to anticipate with great eagerness during the week to seize to rest, and to feast in Jesus' name so that your joy may be full. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we, we like to go. We like to experience. We like to take. God, we know that in you we have all that we need yet we run and we chase and we hustle and this world tells us that that is what you should be doing that that will get you to a culmination of something that will eventually die but what we know and who we know that lives forever and who has given us eternal life is King Jesus. Teach us, remind us to abide in you each day and to set aside time to rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.